It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to Iowa's Newsworthy Past. The following episode includes items published in the Lone Tree Reporter in Lone Tree, Iowa, on Friday, September 6, 1901. The K of P Lecture A fair-sized audience attended the K of P Lecture at the Opera House Wednesday night of last week and listened to the program, which consisted of several songs rendered by a chorus of 30 voices, led by Professor Mahana, a duet by Mrs. Carrie Hill and Miss Jessie Robeson, a recitation by Dr. A. H. Delano, and an address by A. W. Ricker. A great difference of opinion is expressed concerning the address which was carefully prepared and rendered. The speaker maintained that fraternal organizations have grown up because the competitive system has made the struggle for existence so sharp and so fierce that it offered no security to life, liberty, and happiness. That fraternal organizations are the direct antithesis of the existing industrial system the latter fosters strife, discord, competition, and war, where the former incul inculcates a spirit of brotherhood and cooperation. As the strife in the industrial field becomes fiercer, fraternal organizations become more numerous. The speaker predicted that in the end, fraternalism would conquer the system and substitute a cooperative for a competitive commonwealth. It is altogether probable that the full tenor of the speaker's remarks were not apprehended. The subject is a new one to our people, and the ringing denunciations of the speaker against war and the spoliation of the poor by the rich came as a shock to many of the audience who are unaccustomed to utterances of this nature. The analysis of fraternal organization and their tremendous growth, as given by the speaker, will bear study, and a closer view of the situation may demonstrate the merit of his views. Weather Bakes A friend writes us criticizing us for treating the long-range weather prophets with so much irreverence and lack of respect and appeals to us to know whether they are not sometimes right in their forecasts and prognostications. We do not care to discuss this matter at length in these notes. Any fool can guess on the weather and be right a part of the time. We will only repeat what we have heretofore said in these notes, viz. The weather service of the government, based on telegraphic reports of temperature, humidity, barometrical pressure, and the knowledge possessed of the law of storm movements, constitutes the only reliable basis of any weather forecast. These forecasts it is well to heed, for they are based on common-sense principles, but when some old crank, hairy, and idiotic essays to forecast weather conditions based on sunspots, star orbits, and lunar changes, and gets off a mess about pure helions, conjunctions, and all sorts of stellar rot, no sensible man should waste a moment's time on him or pay the least regard to his twaddle. For a fact, the American people should have outgrown the stage of 50 years ago 
when a patent medicine almanac was accepted as weather authority because it was right part of the time. While we might possibly excuse some very old people for belief in such lunacy, we have our opinion of a live man who will invest his money or govern, govern his business by such folly. New Varieties of Potatoes A reader at Waterloo, Iowa requests us to state, in order to settle a dispute, how new varieties of potatoes are originated. In reply, we say that the seed, which may be found in the potato balls, which grow on the vines like tomatoes, is the source of new varieties and the only source. New varieties of currants, gooseberries, strawberries, apples, in fact most fruits, are obtained in the same manner. While the propagation of any given variety is accomplished by cuttings, tubers, runners, grafts, etc., some seedsmen make a specialty of originating new varieties of potatoes in the manner described and produce thousands of seedlings, no one of which may be worth propagating for the one that is. Potatoes of any variety which may be of value and become popular usually have a run of from 15 to 20 years when they seem to run out and disappear. Our older readers will recall the time when the pink eye, western red, cowhorn, and nishanok were each standard varieties, but now not to be found. A week's happenings, items of interest gathered here and there, briefly told. Mr. Adam Schusler left Monday morning for Independence, Iowa, on a business trip. Miss Frieda and Mary Schusler and Minnie Hari spent Sunday with Miss Anna Horn Hora. Miss Etta Siegel of Fairfield is here for a few days' visit with Mr. and Mrs. Oscar Schiller. Miss Mabel Mason returned to her home in Cedar Rapids Thursday after a pleasant here, pleasant visit here with the Devos. Jim McCollister, Will Doris. Joe Bleeker, Fritz Menzer, and Basil Schaffer were Monday evening passengers for Muscatine. Mr. and Mrs. J.W. Anderson gave a delightful dinner party to 30 relatives at their home in Pleasant Valley one day last week. In the district court, Stephen Schultz seeks a judgment against James Duff, claiming the defendant drained the water from a large pond onto the plaintiff's farm. Mrs. S. Ream returned to her home in Wilton, the last of the week, after superintending the Johnston Underwood wedding and visiting among old friends here. Thomas Hendrickson will sell 13 head of Dakota horses weighing from 800 to 1,200 pounds, well broke, at the Lone Tree Stockyards, Saturday, September 7, at 2 o'clock. West Liberty has four cases of smallpox and many have been exposed. The New Crossings The Town Council has exhibited good business judgment in ordering stone pavements for street crossings. The expense involved is considerable, but the crossings once in will last as long as the life of the present generation. In the end, their cheapness will be demonstrated. It is characteristic of our present civilization that we build nothing for permanency. Everything is constructed to serve the present moment, 
If a thing can be patched up in the semblance of respectability, it is made to serve that purpose. Recently, a new sidewalk was laid on Commercial and Devos Street. In the walk, new material was used, making it wide, even, and serviceable. Yet a careful survey of the work will show some ragged ends calculated to wear out shoes, spoil the symmetry of the walk, and render it of such nature as soon to require rebuilding. The present system of laying public walks is a failure. It lacks uniformity. One man who loves symmetry will build a good walk while another who is careless or penurious will build his walk so as to be merely within the bounds of the law. It is no more sensible to construct walks in this way than to leave road building to every man to work the road which passes his house. Walks are public property and should be constructed by the public. This will secure both uniformity and excellence. There is always in every town a class of growlers against taxes and opposed to public improvements. This class is composed of those best able to pay. They claim that the propertyless class pay no taxes. They assume to forget that profit is a tax, the heaviest and the most universal of all. A man who rents a building collects a tax in the form of rent. A man who owns money collects a tax in the form of interest. A man who engages in business collects a tax in the form of profit. These taxes in Maine are paid by the propertyless class, for they make up the bulk of the population. The fact, therefore, is disclosed that the propertyless class pay the bulk of the taxes indirectly. Industry pays all the taxes. The state, therefore, taxes the taxers which is a complicated system, but the only possible one at present, since when the tax of rent interest and profit is collected, the propertyless class have nothing remaining on which the state or municipality may levy. Contributed.